Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. This morning our scripture text will be from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-11. through 11. You can stay there the whole time. I'm going to be bouncing around all over the place. I'm going to try to answer as much questions with Scripture as possible today. That is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-11. through 11. Before we begin, though, reading the text, I want to give a brief, give a brief background to this letter. For one, it was written by the Apostle Peter. As the Roman Catholic Church traditionally believes that Peter was the first pope, there is no such evidence found in Scripture. Yes, the Apostle Peter was a leader among the disciples. Yes, he was a key player in spreading the gospel. And yes, he was the rock that Jesus told them he would be. However, there is no support that he was a supreme leader over the apostles or over the church. That is only the role of Christ. His birth name is Simon. However, Jesus nicknamed him Peter, which means rock. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Jesus did this right after Simon had told him that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter was a very concerned apostle, and what he says is to be taken extremely serious, not that the rest of the Bible is not. The first letter of Peter was written to encourage persecuted Christians and to exhort them to stand fast in the truth and in their faith and in the midst of a harsh environment. The second letter of Peter, which we'll be reviewing today, chapter 1 at least, calls believers to maturity and addresses that there will be false teachers in the church that bring destructive heresies, which lead people away from Christ. Peter goes on to write how to avoid false teachers by understanding salvation, avoid false teachers by understanding scripture, avoid false teachers by understanding false teachers, and avoid false teachers by understanding the future. I have personally fell victim to false teachers. And I know many people that are still under their teaching today. I can honestly say, if I'm intolerant about anything, this is a subject that gets me completely vexed. It upsets me greatly. What's worse than pe people being misled right into a pit? Take a doctor, for an example, that receives a patient that has potentially um, fatal sickness or terminal sickness and sends them on the way and tells them they're perfectly fine, don't worry about it, you don't need any medicine, you don't need any treatment, to only have them pass away due to their illness because of a doctor's negligence. To me, it's a really bad tragedy. And like I said, it's happened to me in a way where if I would have stayed on that path, it wasn't for God's grace pulling me out of it, I feel that I was subject to that type of teaching. I've decided to break this passage up, though, from verses 1 through 4. 2 Peter 
chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Follow along if you will. Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. For his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of lust. So Simon Peter, the bondservant, Greek word for bondservant is doulos, which is slave. Peter here humbly placed himself in the position of a servant or a slave. This would entail being submissive and obedient. In the culture to where this was written, calling oneself a slave would have been putting one in equality with an animal. However, while degrading socially, it is the exact place we should all want to be spiritually. Peter was following the direction by, given by Jesus Christ himself. In Matthew 20, 25-28, Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles domineer over them, and those in high positions exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wants to become prominent among you shall be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. All believers are called to be servants. I once saw a billboard, and it was outside of a church, and it said, Good leaders, no show and go the way. Praise God that Jesus is the best leader that ever lived and continues to live. One who we can trust with everything, who would never lead us, astray, lead us astray, nor forsake us. He is the good shepherd, the best shepherd. Simon Peter, the apostle, being selected by Christ to be one of his apostles, would have carried an extreme amount of weight. The qualifications for the office of an apostle were, one, to have been an eyewitness to the risen Christ, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Two, one would have been chosen by the Holy Spirit, that's Acts chapter 9. And three, having the ability to perform signs and wonders, that's Acts chapter 2. Be very cautious for those who proclaim their apostles, self-proclaim their apostleship while performing fake signs and wonders, and who also ask for large sums of money. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. Benny Hinn is one, for example, who will proclaim, if you send your $1,000 to us today, we will pray over you and you will be healed. Not $999, $1,000. Also, he's one to have people come up onto his stage where he'll come over and pray over them and they do this whole thing. They start shaking. He proclaims that they're healed. They don't need to go home and take any more medicine. They're good to go. To later on, only those people end up passing away. It is a real thing. People are duped that bad, and it's very unfortunate. 
Who was this letter written to? That is Second Peter. Chapter 1, verse 2. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of God our sa and Savior, Jesus Christ. To those who have received would be to imply that anyone who has faith in Jesus Christ was given it as a gift. You received it. The word received in Greek would be lankano, which means to attain, usually by the casting of lots, like the flipping of a coin today. God makes the choice. All too often, I personally encountered this while witnessing to others, and you can ask somebody, if, if, basic question, do you think you would go to heaven or hell? Common answer is, I'll go to heaven. Why do you think that? Well, because I'm a good person. Okay. I believe that's who you compare yourself. If you're good, if you compare yourself to somebody worse. Another common answer is, oh, I give, I give a lot to charity. I give to all types of places. I'm, I'm going to be going to heaven. Or, oh, I was baptized. I'm definitely going. I went, did that as a kid or I did it recently, but, you know, that, that was my checklist. I'm good to go. I've even heard, oh, I'm, I'm going. I have a Bible with a scarlet strap. My response to that would have, was, do you read it? R.C. Sproul puts it this way. You are closer in conduct to Adolf Hitler than you are to Jesus Christ. It's very true. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are all his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Grace is undeserved favor. There is not enough works to do on this earth that would ever be able to make us right with God. There shall never be any boasting in our faith in a way that makes us inferior to others. Reason being, the Apostle Peter himself affirms us that he is writing to those with the same kind of faith as his very own. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one in Christ Jesus. No one is better than the other person. We may have different roles, but we are all one in Christ. Be on guard for the type of attitude of a sluggard that receives a large inheritance and goes around boasting about how great he is and how fantastic the things are that he has. From the outside, you can clearly see, like, dude, you were given that. You know, why are you boasting? You didn't even work for it. Or in a situation where it can be, and I've experienced things like this, playing baseball or football where the, football's coach, uh, the football coach's son has the best position on the team, not because he earned it or that he was the best, but just because the coach gave him that position. Faith is a gift. I am not, better yet, we are not, some great beings that God looks down on and is like, I really like that person. 
He is the best. I'm going to choose him or her. With an evaluation against oneself, the scripture should not take long to see that we are all in need of a savior. Faith will come through hearing the word of God. The truth is, we don't deserve anything but death. Sounds harsh. Romans 6.23, Paul writes, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are only saved through Jesus Christ's righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 reads, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If Christ did not live a sinless life, we would simply not be forgiven. This was the plan from the very beginning. How does this work? Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, Paul writes, So then, as through one offense, that is Adam's, the result was condemnation to all mankind, so also through one act of righteousness, which is Jesus, the result was justification of life to all mankind. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. Paul also writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, with which he favored us in the beloved. In him, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings, according to the riches of his grace. So the attitude, in my opinion, of a believer should be more like, why, O me, O Lord, a sinner? The answer is grace, God's undeserved favor. Grace stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. Not literally, but just an acronym. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. I actually heard that for the first time from a hip-hop song by Shaolin. I'm sure you know it, Mike. Amen. <laughs> All the glory goes to God. None to us. This, however, does not mean we do not have a responsibility in our response to God's calling in our lives. But it is only by the power of God that we were enabled in the first place to choose him. Again, no glory to us. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him on the last day. So we can all say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Again, all glory to God and unto us. Now back to verse 2 in 2 Peter chapter 1. 
Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. This grace and peace is one that surpasses all understanding. As we grow in our experimental knowledge of Christ, the more we will experience his goodness and mercy. Understanding that we are forgiven of a debt that is completely unpayable, completely, ought to comfort anyone. Amen? There is neither past, present, nor future sin that Christ's death on the cross won't atone, atone for the believer. Thank you, Lord. Verse 3 and 4. For his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of lust. By God's divine power, he has supplied us who believe all that we need for sanctification to live out our godly lives. Just as parents provide for their children's needs, so God provides and supplies all that we need, including the ability to rise above our circumstances and temptations. When an individual accepts Christ as their Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live within them spiritually. This is what happens when one is born again. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 reads, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we did in righteousness, but in accordance with his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he richly poured out upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Also, in 1 Corinthians Chapter 6, verse 19, Paul writes, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? We are now partakers, believers are now partakers of God's divine nature. What are some roles that the Holy Spirit has in the life of a believer? And this is not an exhausted list, but to name a few. The indwelling spirit comes to our soul, which is dead in its sin, and gives us new life. That's John chapter 3. The Spirit bears witness that we belong to God. That's Romans 8. The Spirit involves the believer, installs the believer into Christ's universal church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Supplies us with spiritual gifts, which is God's given abilities, that we may use it for his, them, for his church and his glory. 1 Corinthians 12. The indwelling spirit enables the believer to apply God's truth through the word. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The spirit leads the believer in paths of righteousness. Romans chapter 8. Convicts us of our sins and restores our fellowship with him. Ephesians 4. 1 John 1, 9. The indwelling spirit seals us to the day of redemption. Ephesians 1. Verse 13 and 14. The indwelling spirit supplies us with all the material wealth, health, and prosperity in this life so we can live our lives for ourselves. Seeing if you're still awake. Negative. That is something that would come out of a false teacher's mouth. Joel Osteen, T.D. Jakes, Joyce Meyer, Benny Hinn. 
all, all of those, be on guard for their teaching. And it, admittedly, I used to listen to them often, especially Joel Osteen. And there is some things that he says are truth, and that's the, what you have to be careful for. Just because there's a little bit of truth does not mean that everything they speak is. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 13. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart of a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All who are saved are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So hopefully now we understand somewhat how one comes to faith and what a magnificent promises it brings. Once we receive that faith, however, we are to act a certain type of way. And that's why I actually titled the message, Faith Acts. God gave us eternal life and allowed us to be partakers in his divine nature, escaping the world's corruption, right? So what are we supposed to do once we are in the faith? Sleep a lot? Sin more? May it never be. Second Peter chapter 1, back to our scripture, verses 5 through 7, Peter instructs, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. So what is it to supply all diligence? And the context here is eager to work with earnest zeal. A good example of this in scripture is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul writes, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only merely receive the prize? Only one merely receive the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. So they do it to obtain a perishable wreath. Well, we an imperishable. Why are we to be diligent? To supply moral excellence? First, let's define what moral excellence is. The quality of doing right and avoiding what is wrong. All too often, in the front of others, believers, and this includes myself, act in a way that does not bring glory to God, in fact, may dishonor him completely. It should not be that way. Frederick N., which I can't pronounce his last name, is a philosopher. And he says, show me you are redeemed, and I will believe in your Redeemer. Too many people are acting a certain way, and they claim that they're believers in Christ to an outside world, and the outside world looks upon them and says, oh, what are you talking about? Look at you. What are you saying? Obviously, what you're talking about is meaningless because you don't practice what you preach. 
in my opinion, one of the greatest testimonies that we can show to the unbelieving world is a life that honors God. However, moral excellence is not to be isolated just to the watching world. There are many private matters that are highly immoral that shall be avoided at all costs as well. In fact, Jesus gives an example and consequence of such situations. In Matthew 5, verses 26 to 27, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, we, believers, unbelievers, can, can go ahead and not violate the letter, not violate the physical, but we are violating the spiritual. And we might as well just do it. Maybe not just do it. Excuse me. <laughs> Forgive me for that. Especially this right here. Don't think you're off the hook, though, if you're constantly looking around and you're like, ah, whatever, I'm, I don't do that. I don't cheat on my wife, but come on, you know. Now, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it from you. This is Jesus' words. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So you heard it. If you do that, cut out your eye and throw it away. Talk about diligent. We are only going to be saved by God's grace and his mercy. Praise him for that. Jesus' point is to make every effort not to do such sin. Peter's point is to make every effort to do what is right. Well, what is really right? How do we know what is right? What are we comparing ourselves to? Well, after moral excellence, Peter writes for us to supply our faith with knowledge. This is not to be confused with an intellectual or academic knowledge and striving. This is the knowledge that comes through the Holy Spirit by his word. We are directed to study to show ourselves approved. We are also directed to be doers of his word, not mere hearers only, deceiving ourselves, and to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. By doing so, we can then obtain the experiential knowledge of Christ in our lives. The word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. After we gain the correct knowledge, we are directed to be diligent and to practice self-control. As Giselle, my wife, says, control yourself, man. <laughs> I asked her if I could say that. She gave me the okay. In all honesty, this is probably the toughest one for me. What areas of life do you need self-control in? Ask yourself. Again, ask yourself. I'll name a few, though, that many believers experience with verses that can help one escape out of the situation when applied. Number one is when sinned against and are tempted to lose control. Ephesians 4.32 is a go-to, for myself at least. Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. This is one that I can easily preach to somebody that has made upset as well. Forgive, forgive me, please. You know what it says. 
But when it's done to me, I'm like, oh, man, this is tough. This is tough. But we all want God's grace and mercy, right? In order to receive that, we also have to forgive others. Number two is when tempted to say potentially harsh words to someone. Nobody in this room has ever done that, right? Once again, God's grace and mercy. Praise him for that. Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. But if there is any good word for edification, according to the need of the moment, say that. So that you will give grace to those who hear. And third is when tempted by one's own ungodly pursuits. 2 Timothy 2, uh, 2 verse 22 reads this. Now flee from your youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Along with self-control, we are to supply faith with perseverance. How do you react during rough circumstances? How are you supposed to react? Do you seek God? James chapter 1 answers, starting from verse 2 to 4, Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. Consider it joy. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The testing of your faith. The testing of your faith is for your own good. So you notice it, your own faith, as the song was sung earlier, Blessed Assurance. It is not so God can know your faith. He already is sovereign over your calling, over calling you, over your salvation, and knows exactly where you are with him. This is something for ourselves to understand. Along with self-control, we are to add godliness. How do you react when treated unjustly? Do you lash out? How should you act biblically, that is? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are harsh. For this finds favor for the sake of the conscience. Towards God, a person endures grief when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. The best example of this is when Jesus gets pinned to a cross and says, Lord, forgive them for they not know what they do. Suffering when he did no wrong. Jesus knows, shows, and goes the way. In our godliness, we are to add brotherly kindness. What is brotherly kindness? Brotherly kindness is the byproduct of Philippians 4, verse 2 to 3, where Paul writes, Do nothing from selfish ambition, or selfish or empty conceit, excuse me, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ. Jesus. And in your brotherly kindness, I love. This is the highest level of love, agape in Greek. It is a sacrificial love of the will. 
It is the love that husbands should have for his wife. As scripture directs husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And I will say, as wives should also have for their husbands. The kind of love Jesus has for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul writes, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, that is agape love, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ knows, shows, and goes the way. Now here's a part that can become potentially offensive. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they do not make you useless, nor unproductive in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the one who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choice of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into an eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. So, with that being said, if you are currently walking in the faith as prescribed in the past passages, awesome. Please share with others what power Jesus Christ has given you to walk out this life. However, if you are not walking in those ways, seize the day and take the opportunity to go to the foot of the cross and ask God to give you the faith and ability to walk out in his ways. We are not to be short-sighted or blind, but instead we are to be able to look far ahead into our eternal dwellings. We are to know where we are going. We are to represent him who called us in doing so. We often spend too much time seeking earthly rewards that do not last. We instead should be seeking eternal rewards that do not perish and have incomprehensible meaning. Now, I believe the rewards in heaven will be not of my belief, not of a great gold mansion for me personally so I can demonstrate to everybody, but it would be for that reason. It would be something interpersonal as when uh, say a ch child wins a spelling bee. The prize is not in the trophy. The prize is in the accomplishment, knowing what he did to go through it. So knowing my relationship with Jesus, why I was rewarded, such things. It wouldn't be to, to show off in front of other people, for instance. Remember that Christ saves those who are lost and not those who are great. He saves people like us. He deserves more honor than we can ever deserve. Or than we can ever give, excuse me. When we make our calling and election sure, it is not so God can know if we are saved. It is so we can have our own blessed assurance that we have persevered through. Again, blessed assurance. Are you going to heaven? And I am, I'm asking you that. Is your response, I don't know. I pray we can all be like Paul. He writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. 
For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. There is no sin besides the complete rejection of Christ that cannot be forgiven. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us for all unrighteousness. I pray we would all hear Christ say, good job, my good and faithful servant. What a glorious moment that will be. I can only imagine. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of salvation to those who believe. I pray that we would all uh, constantly seek you, repent of our sins, and look for things above. Lord, I pray that we would be evangelists and that we would proclaim your goodness and mercy that you have on sinners, Lord. I pray that we would do all of this in love, that we would bring people to you, Lord, and be grateful for all that you do. Thank you so much, in Christ's name.